Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by lead pastor Dave Ferguson as we kick off the series, Awaken. If you're new, we'd love to learn your name. Simply text CONNECT to 630-793-6399 and we'll send you more information about community. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. Happy New Year, community. In fact, happy 2021. And if you're also happy about it being 2021, why don't you just let us know about it in the chat right now. Wherever you're joining us from, just put something in there and say, happy 2021. Well, while you're doing that, let me tell you something. Um, I came across one of the craziest but true stories ever. Uh, a guy named Terry Wallace was driving his pickup truck down a country road in Stone County, Arkansas. As he comes to a ravine, Terry loses control of the pickup and he catapults over a small bridge into the water. Minutes later, he's rushed to the hospital. Terry's wife finds out she hurries to get to the hospital. When she gets there, amazingly, Terry's still alive, but totally unconscious. In the next 24 hours, Terry slips into a coma. After the week, a week ends, and they declare Terry is what they call a persistent vegetative state. He stays in that unconscious state, in a coma, for the next 19 years. Then after 19 years, he wakes up. (laughs) After almost two decades of being gone, it's like he's back. Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up and find out that you'd slept through months or years or even decades of your life? Imagine that you, you went to sleep in 2002 and then you wake up in 2021. And you find out, wow, I missed the invention of the iPod, the iPhone, and the iPad. And then you discover, man, people use these things to communicate on platforms like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. And then all of us Chicago baseball fans, imagine this. We would have missed both the 2005 White Sox and the 2016 Cubs World Series championships. I mean, how weird would it be to be asleep for almost two decades? Why am I asking you this? I'm asking because I believe it's easy for any of us to fall into sort of a a coma of sorts. To actually get to the place where you're just kind of going through the motions. You know what I'm talking about? Like the, the same old, same old. Days and weeks and months go by. Years pass by. Maybe even decades disappear. And it's like you've been sleepwalking through life. And suddenly you find yourself in this place where you're asking, how, how did I get this old? How, how did I get to be an adult? How did, how did I turn 30 already? Or 50? Or 70? And you're asking, what have I really done? And am I really living? And see, for that very reason, because it's so easy, today we're starting a brand new series called Awaken. And as we begin a new year, we're gonna ask God, to awaken us so we don't sleep through a single day of our lives in 2021. And this series, it is meant, it is designed to awaken you spiritually, to bring you back to life, to kind of snap you out of that comatose of every day. And to do that, what we're gonna challenge you to do, is we're gonna challenge you to do something that maybe you've never done in hopes that you'll make a brand new connection with God. And see, a a new connection is, is what happened to Terry Wallace in his story. 
After those 19 years of being in a coma, the doctors discovered that Terry's brain was actually on its own making new connections. It was as though it's rewiring itself. And then one morning, Terry's mom walks into his room. He looks at her and he just blurts out, mom. (laughs) It was his first words in almost 20 years. And he was back. In the same way, spiritually, we want to see if we can kind of rewire your soul. We want to help you reconnect with God in a powerful awakening kind of way. And for that to happen, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm asking you to join me for 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, I did this along with many of you last year. And I look back on that, I'm telling you, it was one of the most powerful, but also I'd say hardest, both those things, spiritual experiences I've ever had. And I think it's a perfect timing for all of us. I know a lot of you are glad to see 2020 go. I know some of you even did your New Year's Eve countdown early just so you get 2020 you know, out of here as soon as possible. And uh, as we look ahead to 2021, I have to admit, I am a little leery. I, I saw this post on Instagram. I don't know if you saw this. Does anyone else feel troubled by the fact that the name of next year is literally 2021? <laughs> I want, okay, 2021 to be a year of awakening. Now to do that, here's what I want to do. I want to start with a story. But before I get to the story, I want to give you kind of the setup to the story. An attorney comes to Jesus and he has this big existential question about life. He wants to know the way to life. Now he was a guy who had a great education, but he already knew that wasn't the way to life. He'd also had quite a bit of success. And he had enough of that, enough money. He knew money wasn't the way to life. And other people, because of his education and success, they admired him, but he quickly discovered that influence and power, that wasn't the way to life. Something was missing. He was himself in search of an awakening. And and candidly, he wasn't even sure Jesus could provide it. But he comes to Jesus, and here's how Luke retells what happened. On one occasion, an expert in the law, that's our attorney friend there, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when he asked this question, he wasn't just asking about heaven, like the afterlife. He was asking about this life too. He was asking Jesus, hey, do you know the way to life? Now, let me give you a little foreshadowing where we're going. Instead of showing him the way to life, what Jesus does, he shows him a way of life. See, a way to life was something that the the attorney, he could go after, education, success, power. But a way of life, of life that Jesus is going to teach him came through blessing others that life brings to you. So Jesus answers his question and he answers his question with a question, which is so, so, so typical Jesus. Uh, Because what Jesus doesn't want, he doesn't want to give him an easy answer that produces no interchange. He wants a spiritual awakening. And so he says this, he says, what's written in the law? Attorney, how do you read it? The lawyer answers his own question and basically summarize all this. And he says, well, it means to love God and love your neighbor. Well, then Jesus nods back and he says, you've answered correctly. If you do this, you'll experience that life. But that answer was, it was too familiar for him. for, For that attorney, it was too big picture. It wasn't specific enough. And maybe you have the same reaction. Maybe you're going like, I know I'm supposed to love God. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I know all that. 
I mean, there's got to be more. If, if we're talking about getting the most out of life, and the attorney felt that way, so he digs a little deeper with a qualifying question. He says this, love my neighbor. Well, Jesus, then who's my neighbor? Give me some specifics there. And now Jesus tells him a story. And I think Jesus told him a story because he knew a story would actually appeal to the man's intellect and also his emotion, both his head and his heart. And he would bring those two together. Then the outcome could be this awakening. And so he begins the story and says this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away and they left him half dead. Now, this story to the listener would have been very believable because everybody knew that, that that terrain, that road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a dangerous place to travel. Crime was high, uh, robberies were common. And it's at this point that Jesus begins to answer that specific question of who is my neighbor? And he says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, right, the man who was beaten half dead, he passes by on the other side. So to a Levite, okay, this is a second religious leader. When he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, while this might seem pretty cold to us, the way the priest and the Levite avoid the man, actually this also was believable because a body on the side of the road, it could have been a plant by robbers to trap a traveler. And actually contact with a corpse, a dead body would, would have made them as religious leaders ceremonially unclean and they wouldn't be able to perform their duties in church. And so it was almost like they had to make a choice between caring for their neighbor or going to church. Now this is where the story takes a crazy turn. But a Samaritan, the third passerby, as he traveled, he came where the man was and he saw him and he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and they put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to the inn and took care of him. Okay, that's day one. Then day number two. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return. So there's gonna be even more of an investment. I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. All right, this part of the story was stunning. (laughs) Not only was the level of care and generosity shocking, but to the Jew listening to Jesus tell the story that a Samaritan was that generous, that was even more shocking. You see, the Jews and Samaritans, they had this profound level of hate for each other. Now, sometimes I've told this story and I'll kind of joke, yeah, it's kind of like bears and Packer fans. But really that's kind of, trivializing it. Although I do hate the Packers and I do hope they lose on Sunday and that the Bears crush them. But that doesn't really work here, okay? I was trying to think what would be a good comparison. It's more like the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda. They hated each other because they came from different tribes. In fact, they hated each other so much during the Rwandan genocide in 94, 800,000 Tutsis were killed by the Hutus in just 100 days, mostly using machetes. Neighbors killed neighbors. Some Hutu husbands even killed their Tutsi wives. And I remember I was in Rwanda about a decade, about 10 years after the genocide. And you'd see Tutsis walking in the street, missing a limb. And you knew it was from those 100 days. Now I tell you all that Because if you can imagine that a Tutsi 
doing the most over-the-top, kind, generous thing you can possibly think of for a Hutu, now you understand what's going on here. Something else. Whenever this story gets told, something very interesting begins to happen. And I wanna, I wanna test that on you, okay? Who are you in the story? Who do you try to identify with? Which character do you recognize yourself in? Which of the characters? Now, if you said Good Samaritan, that's typical. Most of us do. And eventually I want you to. But here's the deal. If we're going to awaken to what Jesus is telling us in this story, I think it's important that we start somewhere else. Instead of immediately jumping and imagining ourselves as the hero who's helping, what we need to do is we need to see ourselves as the one who's hurting. Because the truth is, we've all been there. That person on the side of the road, we've all been the one in need. I remember um, when we first started the church, I mean, Sue and I, we, we had no money. Um, and I remember another couple in the church, and this guy had his own business. They sat down with us and helped us understand how to start saving and investing. And in fact, for a year, they actually gave us $50 a month to put into a savings account. $600 over the course of that year. They, they just gave to us so we could learn how to do this. We've all been desperate for someone to stop and help us. And it's important we identify with that man on the side of the road because the birthplace, the birthplace of empathy is identification. Let me say that in. I want, say that again. I want that to sink in. The birthplace of empathy is identification. And see, once we recognize we've been the one in need, then how can we not awaken to the needs of our neighbors? And see, here's what happens. That the awakening we've been talking about, the awakening begins when, here it is, we recognize. We recognize the needs of the people God has placed around us. It's the brokenness that we've experienced. That ought to open our eyes to the brokenness of others around us rather than numb us to it. But recognizing, it's important, but it's just the start. See, after Jesus finished the story, it's like he shakes the attorney. He's trying to wake him up. Does this by asking this. He says, well, which of the three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? There's a pause. He's starting to come out of that everyday coma. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And what happens next is Jesus explains how this awakening could occur to him and to every one of us. And he says this, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. <clears throat> Let me explain what Jesus is not saying here. He is not saying that the Samaritan intentionally traveled back and forth on the, that road from Jerusalem to Jericho looking for someone in a ditch to help. All right, that could be a good thing. It might be a great cause to start, but that's a totally different lesson for another time. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this. There are people every day as you go about your life on the path of your life that are hurting. And it's those people in need that I want you to recognize. Your neighbor, your coworker, maybe it's a family member. And after you recognize, here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond, to respond with mercy, to respond with compassion. That's who Jesus calls us to be. 
Now, now maybe you're like me at this point in the talk and you're going like, I hear you, I'm totally on board. Of course I want to be a person like that who recognizes then responds to the needs of others. But if I'm keeping it real, you know what? I know I, I have a tendency, like a gravitational pull to veer to this other side of the road. And I have some reasons. See if you can relate. Here's some reasons. Like how about, first of all, my time? The Samaritan, we go back, I mean, he gave days to that man in need. That's a high bar to go and do likewise. And a lot of time, I feel like there's no way I can give that kind of time. That's my most valuable asset. So what do I do? Sometimes I delegate it. Sometimes I don't do anything at all. Or here's another one. How about my comfort? There was a study that concluded that American society was suffering from what they called an empathy deficit disorder. Empathy deficit disorder. The study found that when it comes to the pain of others, what we value is we value moving on. Almost like we value moving to the other side of the road. And so when the topic of other people's pain comes up, what we often do is we downplay it by saying, yeah, it, it, it could be worse. Or we dismiss it by saying, hey, can we, can we talk about something else? And here's the thing. If we can't become people who are bothered or willing to acknowledge the pain of others, there is no way we're going to actually do something about it. And here's, here's this next one. The next one, it might surprise you a little bit. How about this one? My fear. I'm telling you, the needs around us whether it's personal or global, they can feel overwhelming. I mean, what if I can't help them? What if I can't fix it? What if I actually make it worse? And if you're like me, you might be thinking, if it was me helping instead of the Good Samaritan, the guy on the side of the road, he might not have made it. And I think sometimes fear, fear paralyzes us. It actually stops us from responding at all. And I'll tell you, if you can relate to any of these, I understand but please also understand, because I'm, I'm learning this now, those are the things that keep me, keep you from experiencing life. Those things. And what Jesus is inviting us to is to awaken to a new way of living. It's a way of life in which we consistently, what we do is we recognize the needs of the people around us, and then we respond with compassion. We recognize and respond, recognize and respond. See, this is how people see Jesus in me and in you and in us. This right here, this is at the heart of the mission of helping people find their way back to God. Maybe here we are at the beginning of the year and it's just caused you again to wonder, what is the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of my life? The priest thought his purpose was going to the temple. But the Samaritan, he found his purpose on a business trip to Jericho. And his purpose was a man bleeding in the ditch. And as we start this new year, here's what I believe. I believe what God wants to do in you personally and us as a church is this right here. He wants to awaken us to people. Please think about this. Every single person you meet might be the answer to your question, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? What is my purpose? That coworker that neighbor, that friend, that family member. Can you imagine what your life and what our whole, all of our lives, our church would look like if all of us began to pray, God, please help me to recognize the people you've put in my path and to respond to them with mercy like you've responded to me. 
See, I believe God's been at work to awaken us to people as a whole church over this last year. Let me remind you about some things that may have kind of washed past you. Last January, we started the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, asking God for a breakthrough, both personally and as a church. That was our prayer. And essentially, that prayer was a prayer for awakening, right? I'll tell you, be careful what you ask for. Because little did we know that just a few weeks later on March 9th, we'd gather in person for the last time in any of our physical spaces. Do you remember what we did on that Sunday? What we did on that Sunday, that was our commissioning Sunday, our commissioning service. We laid hands on every one of you that wanted it. We prayed for you. And then we sent you, we said, now you go. You go back to where you live. You go back to where you work. You go back to where you play and you be a blessing to people. We had no idea that would be our last time physically together in our locations. But I look back and then I go like, how appropriate. I mean, that had to be God's time and God at work because then came the pandemic. And I don't think God caused this pandemic, but I do think God is trying to use this pandemic for a breakthrough in you, in me, in us to awaken us to people. But in order for God to awaken us to people, it's gonna require... I believe this, this is true for me, you can't be that much different than me, a renewed connection to God. And here's the truth, over the next few days and the next weeks, you're not gonna see anything different and you're probably not gonna do anything different if God doesn't do something different inside you. What you need is you need him to awaken you. And that's where these 21 days of prayer and fasting come in. Starting on January 11th, I believe God wants to use it to awaken us to people like never before. There's just something powerful when we fast because we intentionally like empty ourselves so that God can fill us up. We empty ourselves so God can fill us up. And that's why I'll be doing this 21 days of fasting. And there's several types of fasts you can choose from. In fact, I'll tell you what, just go right now to communitychristian.info. Lots of information there so everyone can join in this in some way. And you have this week to decide how you'll join us in this fast. And, uh, and notice, I didn't say if you're going to join us in this fast. I said how. Because I really don't want this to be optional. I want you, I want 100% of community to join us on this journey together. Let me wrap it up with this. What we're going through together, this pandemic, is something that's going to be remembered for a lifetime. We're going to talk about 2020 and 2021 for the rest of our lives. And if God's good to you with your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, you're gonna talk about this. Let me ask you this. How do you want to be remembered during the pandemic? How do you want to look back on this and be remembered? I think there's a whole bunch of us. If we tell this story truthfully, the focal, the focal point of the pandemic for us was all about my security making sure I'm safe, making sure I'm sound, making sure I'm unharmed, that I'm okay. That was the focus on my security. And there is a big picture thing where we need to take safety into consideration for all of society, but that was our focus. I think there's also a whole bunch of us, if we tell the story truthfully at this point, the focal point of the pandemic was about my rights. They can't tell me not to do this. <clears throat> I mean, they, they can't make me do that. I have my rights. And those are important. So on the one hand, there's a lot of conversation about security. On the other hand, a lot of conversation declaring my rights. But here's what I think God is trying to tell us. And I think he's telling me this. 
Those are important. But I want your focus to be on your neighbor. Your neighbor. Earlier this summer, a, uh, a big orange moving truck pulled into the house next door to ours. Uh, we got some new neighbors, Sue and I did. And I think what God wants me to make, uh, remember, I guess, from this, this season, this pandemic, was that commissioning service last March and then loving my new neighbors. That's what I want to be remembered most for during the pandemic. When they moved in, we went over and welcomed them, you know, from a distance. They seemed like a great couple with a little boy and another one on the way. And since then, one of the things I've tried to do, I've tried to make it a discipline to pray for them every day, my neighbors. Uh, periodically, I'd send them a text to check in to see how they're doing because I knew they had a kid on the way. And when their new baby girl finally arrived, uh, Sue cooked them a meal and I took it over to them. And in some ways, I've been working on this talk for a while, so I've also been working this. I'm, I'm just trying to recognize and respond to the needs of my neighbors. How about you? You know, for much of 2020, I think I had a, had a storyline in my head, like this is a test of my leadership. How would I lead our church? That's what I'll be remembering. That was my focus. I don't think so. I believe God's trying to get me and get you and all of us to focus on our neighbors and awaken us to people. 